Well, uh, I was 11 or 12 years old when I mowed my first lawn. Does anybody else here have lawn, grass, turf, a couple of people? Um, back in Sydney, it's still very normal to have a quarter acre block. Um, in fact, it's a bit of a matter of pride. And you have a, a great big lawn out the back and a great big lawn out the front. And, and of course, you have to have the best lawn on the street. Uh, it has to be green, has to be perfectly cut. If you're really good, you even make rows in it. I don't know how they do that. I could never do that. I think there's a special machine. And you have to have sharp edges. And of course, no weeds in the grass. And so I grew up mowing our lawn and my um, grandmother's lawn and sometimes the neighbor's lawns. Uh, and then when our kids were little, we moved into this house that had the perfect lawn for kids. Um, in fact, I think most of the block, it was bigger than a quarter acre. There was lots and lots of grass. The only problem was this one had lots of weeds in it. And uh, when we moved in, uh, back in Australia, there's a, there's a weed that grows in grass. We call it bindis or bindi eyes. I don't know if you, I've got one or two Australians in the audience who know exactly what I'm talking about. Bindis, um, they, they are here, it's called Soliva sessilis. It's this little weed that grows spikes. And so in Australia, nobody likes to wear shoes outside, despite all the things that might kill you. And so you, you play on the lawn, and uh, until somebody gets these spikes in between their toes and under their feet, these little brown spiky things that are really quite painful. And uh, weeds... <laughs> Weeds are this constant reminder that we are not in control of everything. And we're not in control of everything in this world. And no matter how hard we try to control everything in this world, there will always be things that pop up that are outside of our control. And they're often not very pleasant things. Uh, so that's what we're thinking about as we open the Bible this morning. Um, so why don't we pray that God would speak to us now as we concentrate on the parable that Earl just read for us. Our Heavenly Father, help us today to understand why bad things happen and to understand why evil persists in the world. Uh, will you teach us and help us to trust you even when life is out of control? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we are in the middle of our teaching series called Hidden Treasures. Uh, it's all about listening carefully to Jesus' teaching and particularly these parables that he told um, and finding the spiritual meaning that's behind them. Uh, because Jesus reveals uh, spiritual truths in his teaching about uh, himself and about his kingdom and about how he wants us to respond and to react. Um, and so these parables that Jesus was teaching in, these are earthly stories but with a heavenly meaning. Um, they are, are relatable images that, that share spiritual truth, but they reveal it to us. Um, they reveal hidden treasure. Um, now today's parable contains some truth that might be confronting to some of us. Um, actually, I found it confronting when I read it, and um, so I just want to acknowledge you might find that too. But before we write it off, I want us to listen carefully to Jesus and consider what he says, because even if it's not easy to hear, we might actually find a hidden treasure where you didn't think you would. Um, that's my prayer as we open the parable today. So let's just go over it again. Um, Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. Um, so we've had two kingdom parables so far, um, helping us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is another one about sowing seeds. And uh, the kingdom, Jesus says, is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then they went away. 
Uh, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and, and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed into the field? Because obviously you, you sow good seed and you expect good uh, things to come up. Where then did the weeds come from? Well, an enemy did this, the owner replied. And so the servants asked, us, asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? And he answered, no, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat at the same time. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the wheat and tie them up into bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Well, as I said before, we all know what it's like to have weeds in our garden. And most of the time, weeds just grow because the birds drop them there or, or because they blew in on the wind. But in this parable, the weeds are sown deliberately by an enemy. They're sown deliberately in order to ruin the wheat crop. And the particular weed that Jesus was talking about, it's sometimes called, um, I think it's called tares in some other Bible versions. Um, I've never heard of this one, but it's called darnel or the bearded darnel is what it's known as. And basically, it's this weed that looks identical to wheat while it's growing. So all the way along, it's very hard to tell the difference. But once the heads are formed, then the grains are different. And it's a dangerous weed because uh, it's actually poisonous to people. Uh, it causes dizziness and it causes nausea. And uh, the Greek name for this weed, zizania, it comes from an Arabic word that means nauseous. Um, so it's a, it's a dangerous thing. And it meant that at harvest time, the uh, harvested need to, harvesters needed to carefully separate the dangerous grain from the good grain and then they burned up the bad stuff so that you know, it didn't, uh, didn't get sown again and didn't make anybody sick. And then finally, they could process the wheat. So this is a parable about a deliberate act of sabotage. Um, it endangered lives, it endangered livelihoods. And at the time this was written, there was even Roman law that dealt specifically with the case of sowing Darnell amongst wheat. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was a crime of revenge, and so Roman law punished that. So everybody listening at the time, they would have known that law, and they would have understand the context. So how does Jesus take this example from common law and turn it into a parable about his kingdom? Well, that's the hidden treasure. Um, so do you remember um, in our first parable of the sower and the seeds, Jesus had said at the end, he said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, Jesus says we need to listen carefully to find the spiritual meaning of his parables um, because they're actually hidden to those who are not interested in the answer. If you don't want to know the answer, you won't hear it. And I think that's why Jesus doesn't give the meaning of this parable publicly. He actually waits until the disciples go back to a house and they ask him in private, they say, Jesus, what did that parable mean? What is this parable of the weeds all about? And so this is what Jesus said. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came and said to him, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the seed... Uh, the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom Matthew 13 26 uh, 36 to 38 so this son of man this is a title that Jesus often uses to refer to himself Jesus is saying that the sower is himself he is the one who sows and he is the one who sows good seed in the field uh, the good seed is the people of the kingdom and so Jesus puts into the world people who believe in him 
and who belong to him and put their life and their trust into him. These are Christian people. And then he said the field, some people think it's the church, but Jesus says the field is the whole world. He says it's the world. Um, Think about that for a moment. The normal way that a kingdom works is that a king lays claim over a particular territory. I'm the king of Yonville. I'm not really. Um, (laughs) Probably not by a long shot, in fact. Well, Jesus asserts that the whole world belongs to him. It's all his. Um, He says, just like a farmer owns a particular field, where he owns the whole world, it's all of his field. And he claims sovereignty over it all. But this parable also tells us that Jesus' sovereign rule, it's not yet complete. There's a challenger to his rule. There's an enemy who's out to sabotage his kingdom. Jesus says, the weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. This raises one of the most difficult questions that we can ask of a religious system, which is, Where does evil come from and why does evil continue to persist in the world? See, after all, you know, surely an all-powerful, all-knowing and all-loving God, surely he would not permit evil to coexist in a world that's under his sovereign rule. Surely he wouldn't. Surely he would get rid of evil. Surely he would banish evil. Surely he would make an end to evil. And that was the conclusion that 2nd century BC Greek philosopher Epicurus came to. Um, And 18th century philosopher David Hume, um, he reiterated Epicurus's uh, proposition. He said, Epicurus's old questions are yet unanswered. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Well, then he's impotent. Is, Is he able but not willing? Well, then he is malevolent. He's he's ill-willing. Is he both able and willing? Then where does evil come from? Whence is this evil? And many Christians struggle with the Epicurean paradox. Why does evil still persist when Jesus is on the throne? Why does God allow suffering and bad things to happen? And that's a hard question to answer, but our parable tells a partial answer to that question. See, first, Jesus is clear that there is an evil force at work in the world. There there is an evil one, the devil. That's what Jesus calls him, uh, both of those names here in chapter 13. And the devil does have some kind of power in the kingdom of heaven as it stands today. Um, The devil is permitted to cultivate a people who are not part of God's kingdom. But the war that... Uh, But this war between Jesus and the devil, it's not like the pitched battles of old times. You know, when two armies would face off one another, one army would line up against the other and they had different uniforms. There was, you know, the good uniform and the bad uniform. What Jesus describes is much more like guerrilla warfare. You can't tell who the enemy is. They look the same as everyone else and they dress the same. And they use that disguise to undermine and sabotage and destroy. This is what Jesus says. He said... The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. I find this a, a frankly quite a disturbing verse. I don't know about you. And this is, I think, what's controversial, confronting at least, a confronting spiritual truth in our parable today. Especially if we like to think of all people as generally good. If we like to think that everybody's good, here you have this description of people who are not good. 
Because Jesus, right, he makes this strong contrast. He says, there's only two types of people in the world. He says, there are the good and the evil. He said, there are those who belong to his kingdom and, and then those who belong to the kingdom of the devil. There's not a third category for people who are just minding their own business or people who are, you know, politely not religious. Um, there's no category for that. Jesus says there's only two types. There's, there's the ones who belong to him and the ones who belong to the devil. And, and that's quite a disturbing proposition. And, and the fact that there are these two kingdoms coexisting, it actually helps us to understand why there is still evil in the world today. I'm not going to say forever, but for today. And much of the evil that takes place in the world is driven by people who hurt and exploit and abuse. And when we see that kind of deliberate evil, we long for justice to be done, don't we? And this week in the newspapers, members of the US gymnastics team told how they had been abused by a former team doctor. And the abuse had been covered up for something like another 18 months after they reported it. And it meant that even more girls were abused during that time. And it makes you sick, doesn't it? You know, we long for justice in a situation like that. And it's the same. Whenever we see the weak taken advantage of, we long to see evil punished. And so the rest of the parable talks about how God will punish evil. Uh, the harvest is coming, Jesus says, when the evil will reap what they sow. Here's what he says, the harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. Jesus is clear that he will not allow evil to continue forever. He will not allow evil to continue forever. There will be a time, there will be a time at the end of the age when Jesus will definitively remove everything that is evil from the kingdom once and for all. Everything that causes sin, Jesus says, and, and all who do evil, they will be removed from the equation. They'll be weeded out. And so that means the devil will be defeated uh, once and for all. It means that the evil that the devil creates will be done with. He, he, as a source of evil, he will be removed from the equation. And that's a win for everybody, right? This source of evil is gone. But here's the more tricky part of the equation. See, Jesus says that everything who, that causes sin and all who do evil will be weeded out as well. And that means that every human who does evil will also be destroyed along with the devil. And the problem is, how does God decide who is evil and who is good? How do you decide the criteria for what is evil and what is good? How do you, how do you measure, measure and weigh one person against another? How do you decide, mm, yes, good pile, bad pile? How, how do you decide that? It's not easy. And the Russian uh, author, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, he came to this conclusion even after he spent eight years in a Russian gulag, um, the communist gulags, he was a political dissenter. Um, he witnessed all kinds of atrocities. And this is what he said about the judging between people. He said, if, if only it was simple, if only there was evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But he says the line dividing good and evil, it actually cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Alexander Solzhenitsyn. 
See, one of the hidden treasures in Jesus' teaching is this reality about the condition of our own hearts and our own propensity for evil. The Bible is clear that each one of us is guilty of sin. And, uh, and according to Jesus' formula, everything that causes sin and everyone who does evil must be weeded out of the kingdom. And that means if we're honest with ourselves, it means we also deserve to be weeded out of God's kingdom for the evil that we've done. It's terrifying, isn't it? Because evil, it's not out there. It's not separating that, those evil people, actually. It's in here. And that leads us to the question that Jesus' parable begs. Which one am I? Am I, am I the evil one or the good one? Who do I belong to? Because the answer matters for your eternal destiny. If Jesus is who he says he is, then this parable teaches us that there are two possible destinies that will face each of us one day. Jesus says in the parable, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil and they will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses this same imagery elsewhere to talk about hell, a, a place where evil is punished as it deserves. It's this terrible place that nobody would want to end up in. And by the way, this is a hard sermon for me to preach as a pastor, right? I'd love to just be positive and talk about transformation and love and grace and mercy and hope. And, and Jesus did that. But, you know, Jesus also spoke about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And so we need to pay attention to that because he doesn't want us to end up there. Um, hell is a real eternal destiny for all who do not belong to the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to go there. And so listen to what he says about those who do belong to him. He says this. He says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus calls those who belong to him righteous. Now, this word righteous, or the idea of righteousness, it's closely related to the word for justice. In fact, in the Greek uh, that this was written in, in Matthew, they, they, they share the same word. It's basically the same root in the Greek language. And so when Jesus looks at the people in his kingdom, he sees them as people who justly deserve to be there. It's justice that they're there. Justice has been done, and in their case, um, there is no, uh, there's no charge that stands against them. Uh, there is no charge against those who are righteous or who are declared righteous. Um, and to use another Bible word, they've been justified. And when, when we teach this in kids' church and youth group, we always say justified means just as if I'd never sinned. You've probably heard that before. And this is another hidden treasure of the gospel, right? Jesus teaches us that we will never be righteous enough on our own. We could never do enough righteous things to enter into his kingdom. On our own, we could never make it just as if I'd never sinned. We could never make it that way because we already did sin. But Jesus can change that for us. Jesus can make it so that it's just like we never even sinned once. And that's the good news of the Christian message. Because the righteous are not those who do good. Righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is a gift that Jesus gives to us. He gives it to all of those who have faith in him. And this gift of righteousness, it's his declaration that we are no longer guilty. Uh, his death has paid the price for our sins. Uh, there is no debt remaining against us. The slate is wiped clean. Uh, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 3. He says... 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's a gift. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth. We all have. But he says, when you have faith in Jesus, he says, all are justified freely by his grace. God's mercy is his forgiveness through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Jesus, then you too are called righteous by God. You're called righteous by Jesus. And the destiny for the righteous, he says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So the destiny for every Christian is glorious. Uh, Literally to be surrounded by the splendor and the the shining glory of God for all of eternity. Um, In the Bible, there are little little glimpses of God's glory. Um, Moses sees this glorious vision of God. It's bright and shining. And and then uh, it happens to the Israelites. They see um, a little bit of his glory on top of the mountain. And then Jesus goes up on this mountaintop. It's always on mountains, isn't it? He goes up on a mountaintop. Uh, with three of the disciples and then I think Moses and Elijah appear and and Jesus is shiny with the glory of God. Um, That kind of shining glory of the presence of God, we're going to share in that as Christians. We're going to shine like the sun, Jesus says, in the kingdom of the Father. In fact, the kingdom of our Father because we'll all be sons and daughters of the King we'll be crowned with glory alongside Him. So there you have it, two types of people. Two eternal destinies. Um, And it's clear which one you want to be, isn't it? And nobody would deliberately choose to fall under God's judgment. And that's part of the reason that God allows evil to continue in our world at this time. God doesn't want anybody to find themselves as children of the devil on the day of judgment. He doesn't want to see anyone perish for their sins. If he did, then God would be cruel, wouldn't he? He'd be vindictive, but he's the exact opposite. Our God is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, a God of second chances and third chances and hundredth chances, probably even more than that. You get the picture. See, God gives every person the opportunity to come back to him and to avoid their just destiny. So that's why God allows evil to persist at this time. Not because he's powerless and not because he's uncaring, but because he's patient and he doesn't want anybody to perish but everyone to come to eternal life. But for all of the evil that exists now, we can trust that one day God will do justice, that he will right every wrong, and that evil will be no more. So why don't we pray now, uh, giving thanks to our Father for this wonderful promise. Our Father, sometimes we read parts of your scriptures that are hard. Uh, We want to only see the good things. We want to only see um, grace and mercy and transformation. So we thank you for teaching us this hard passage today. We pray that we wouldn't be too disturbed, but to focus on your love and your mercy and your kindness in Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you that by faith in Jesus Christ, all who believe in him will be called righteous in your kingdom. Father, give us this gift, as a, a gift this righteousness as a gift, and help us to share this hope that we have in Jesus Christ in the Napa Valley and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.